0: Man, that was awesome, wasn't it? I want to invite everybody to please stand and open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation is an easy book to find. It's the very last book of the Bible. It's before your index or your concordance. Revelation chapter 5. And Mel, choir worship team, Shay, thank you guys so very much. That is one of my favorite Christmas hymns. And then I love kids. So just watching all these little bambinos up here up front was wonderful. Revelation chapter 5, and we will join the company of angels and archangels in this hymn of praise. We'll read the whole chapter. It'll be up on the screen or in your Bibles, starting in verse 1. Then I saw on the right hand of the one seated on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even look into it. I wept and wept, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb, standing in the midst of the throne, and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He went and took the scroll out of the hand of the one seated on the throne. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slaughtered, and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also of the living creatures and of the elders. Their number was countless thousands, plus thousands of thousands. They said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, Blessing and honor and glory and glory. And power be to the one seated on the throne for and to the Lamb forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Let us pray. Father, we praise you and thank you because you are worthy. You are worthy of all glory and power and majesty and dominion and might and strength and wisdom. And honor you are king of kings and lord of lords and father i praise you for every person here today holy spirit we invite you now speak to us encourage us convict us heal us transform us so that you jesus are glorified as we've already sung i pray again open the eyes of our heart that we would see how worthy you are how holy you are father i feel very intimidated with this passage because I'm afraid that I don't even have words to be able to express what you're trying to say. So speak through me. Touch us and fill us now, Lord Jesus. And we ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Before we dive into this passage, there's a couple of fun announcements I want to make just about missions and missionaries and all of that jazz. Last week I mentioned that Joseph and Haley Rahm and their four kids have moved, just moved back from Honduras. They're sitting over here. Now, Zach and Janae stellar with their little son, Lucas, is he over there with the little ones? He's with the little ones. Zach and Janae, could you all stand up, please? So they are back from, I won't tell you where, but welcome back. They moved into the mission house, and so Karen, thank you so much for all your work and others who've helped with the mission house. So they live here on site, and they'll be here for several months, Lord willing, unless Jesus comes back soon and takes us all home, so we're so glad that you guys are back. With this, with missionaries, that tree back there is not a Christmas tree. It's a mission tree. And on that tree are ornaments. And every ornament, you can take one as long as you give a donation. And all those donations will go to help support our missionaries that are on the field. We have a few on the field, and we have many more that are preparing to go. So if you want to take one of those ornaments, feel free to do so, and then leave a donation. Dustin Denning, I think, was in charge of it last week. So anyway, it's something we'll have all Advent During these next couple weeks. So we truly believe in missions. So much of our time and resources are left right here in the United States. And we need to be a sending church, a world church that is constantly focusing first on Christ and him alone. And then we need to take the gospel. There are still 2.5 billion, that's what they be, people who live on this planet who have never even heard the name of Jesus. Never even heard his name. And it is the church's responsibility to go. And that's why we as a church, we want to constantly, we want to send you out. Go. Don't stay here. Get trained and equipped and go. If God calls you to stay, great. That's awesome because he's brought the nations to Nashville. But just because he's brought the nations to Nashville is not an excuse to not go. We need to go. So that's why we focus so much on missions. Missions. Last week, here, if you open your Bibles back up to Revelation chapter 5, uh, the context of this passage here is Revelation chapter 4, and we're not going to look at chapter 4 today. We looked at that last week. But I want to encourage you this week, read Revelation 4 and 5 together. Last week, we looked at Revelation chapter 4, and it is John had a vision where Jesus himself invited him to come up into the throne room. And John was so overwhelmed by the fact that he saw God seated on his throne. And it's still a paradox to me where Scripture says no man can see God, and yet Jesus opened John's eyes so that he could see God seated on his throne. And it describes four living creatures who covered themselves with wings, and they flew with wings, and they covered their faces with wings, and they had eyes all around. And that's all symbolic. And they worshipped, and they never stopped worshipping. And there were 24 elders who never stopped worshipping God. And then there were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels, all worshiping God, worshiping him. And John gets to experience that. He's trying to describe it in chapter four. And one of the main points about the book of Revelation is more than anything else, it's about worship, worship of our heavenly king who lives and rules and reigns forever. And he is on his throne. And one of the questions we need to ask today, God is on his throne. Who is on the throne of your life? Who rules and reigns your time, your talents, your resources, your family, your work? He is on his throne, and he's given us an incredible gift of free will. And he calls us to lay down at his feet and humble Worship, taking up his cross and following him, offering our lives as a living sacrifice. Is Christ Jesus ruling your life as King of King and Lord of Lords? That was last week. This week, Jesus is worthy. He is worthy of all praise and glory and majesty. But I've got a couple questions though to start out with, and we're gonna look at this today, too. We're gonna connect a couple things. Hopelessness? Worthy. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt so hopeless that you saw no way out? No solution. No resolution. No redemption. No way of fixing something that's broken. I can remember when I was eight years old, we were at my grandparents, and I might have shared this story with you guys, but up at my grandparents' house in Delaware, Ohio, it was this old ancient house, and it was three-story, three story, actually, it was amazing, and all of my cousins were there, and on my mom's side, there were only like nine, ten cousins, but we're all about the same age. And like good old grandparents, as they got older and older, they kept putting new beds and more beds in the, ba- in the bedrooms. And so there was one bedroom where most of us as cousins slept. And there were four beds in there. And there was like this king-size bed and this double bed and then these two tiny single beds. And you could hardly walk into the room. And the house smelled old and musty, but as cousins, we loved it. And what we would do at night is we would jump on all those beds because, I mean, it was almost like a trampoline inside this one room because there was hardly any space to see the floor. And so we're jumping around, jumping around. There's like eight or nine of us jumping around, jumping around. And my mom comes up, my aunt comes up, my uncle comes up. And they're like, guys, you need to quit jumping on the bed. Okay, you might break something in here, so quit it. Okay, they all go downstairs. So we're talking and playing. Well, you know, what happens within three or four minutes after that? What happens? Well, we're jumping back on the bed. And because the king side bed, maybe it wasn't a king sized bed, but to me as a little eight-year-old, it seemed huge. And we would jump from that bed down, and we kind of did this little lap thing around. And I thought I was going to be super awesome and cool. And I was a really good athlete growing up, but I was a little on the heavy side. So even though I was pretty coordinated, you know, I required a lot of room. (laughs) And I tried to show off, and I did a flip from one bed to the next. And I made it. But my right foot went right through the window. Boom. I mean, went through it. Big old cut on my heel. Bleeding. Now, even though my I was hurt physically, my pride was hurt even worse than that. But I knew that I was in deep trouble. <laughs> I felt hopeless. Chris, do you mind putting the slide up for the definition of hopeless? Hopeless. Hopelessness. Having no expectation of good or success. Despairing. Not susceptible to remedy or cure, incapable of redemption or improvement, giving no reason to expect good or. Success. That is how I felt with that broken window because I couldn't fix it. I had a big gash on my foot. A whole entire window was busted out, including the wood part of the frame. And my grandpa was only about five five and about one hundred and thirty pounds, but he could be scary. And all my cousins, boy, they backed up to the wall on the bed. you got to go tell them. <laughs> I felt hopeless. I can remember going down those ancient stairs because they curved. And all the parents and grandparents were in room. They were laughing it up, having a good time. And I remember grabbing my mom, and I was in tears. And I broke the window. And, you know, I got punished. We all got punished. And, of course, I you know, the next day all my cousins wanted to kill me because I got them all in trouble too. And I'm sharing a very funny story of hopelessness because as a little 8-year-old, I felt like there was no cure. There was no expectation of good or success. It was broken. I was despairing. There was no remedy. There was no cure. And we're going to look... That's something that happens to John while in the throne room, and we just read it. But let's look at this again here in chapter five, and we're going to kind of go through this. But the first five verses: Here, John is. Then I saw a mighty angel. Then I, then I saw on the right hand of the one seated on the thro- throne a scroll written on both sides, sealed with seven seals. Now you got to picture this. Jesus, in chapter 4, invites John up into the throne room. And John is in the throne room, and he sees God sitting on his throne. And he can hardly describe the lights that he sees and what God looks like. And he describes it as a rainbow and emerald and sardis stones. And there's a sea of glass. And all these angels worship our music just a little bit ago. when We were singing the song. What's the name of the song? Holy, uh, There's No One Like You. What's that called? Build My Life. Build my life. Sorry, man. I will put you right on the spot. Build My Life. And during that worship, I'm like, this is amazing. And I'm sure many of you guys have been in worship circumstances and situations where you're like, I don't ever want to leave. This is so awesome and so amazing. It's amazing just to sing and focus on who you are, Jesus. So think about that. John, is he's got a spiritual experience. He's in the spirit. And he sees heaven open. And there's this unbelievable worship. I mean, if you think of the worship that we experience down here is anything can you imagine what it is to be in worship and the angels are leading us in worship? No offense, no, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, think about it. I'm sure when the angels see us worship, they're like, oh, that's so cute. <laughs> it's kind of like us when we see the little bitty ones up here singing. I love, I moved up here. I want to see. Man, that's so cute. Can you imagine what it's like for being in worship and the angels are actually leading the archangels are leading that worship. So, think what John is experiencing. He is seeing God in all of his glory and wonder. And then, right here, he sees God, and it says he saw in the one seated on the throne in his right hand. And right hand denotes power and control and authority. So, God in his right hand, he holds a scroll. And we don't know what all is written on that scroll. But most theologians believe that it is God's redemptive plan that is foreshadowed and foretold in the Old Testament. It's inaugurated and it's completed by Jesus Christ himself. And we see its consummation here in, Roman, in Revelation, all of Revelation and many of the other parts of the New Testament that talk about Jesus will take all things and he will smit all things under his feet and then surrender and give it up to his heavenly Father. And our heavenly Father will have all glory and praise and honor and majesty That's who God is. He consumes all things because he is the only one worthy of all praise. And so here John has experienced this amazing worship. And he sees God and in his right hand is this scroll. Nothing can be added to it. It's written. There's words inside and out. And I can imagine John is just overwhelmed with emotion. He's overwhelmed by everything he's seeing, everything he's experiencing. And then in verse 2 he says, I saw a mighty angel. Not just an angel. What kind of angel? A mighty angel. If you pay attention in Scripture, every time an angel shows up to someone, their first words are usually this, don't be afraid. And John describes a mighty angel appears or shows up. And what does this mighty angel say? Look at what he says. He says he proclaims in a loud voice, not a little bitty voice, but a loud voice he proclaims, he shouts, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And then the following verse, but no one. Who? No one. No one in heaven, on earth, under the earth. No one was found worthy. Not one. Have you ever been in a situation, maybe it's a dinner, a meal, work, at school. I know we've seen it in movies where there's a group of people and then someone all of a sudden makes a comment or says something that could be utterly embarrassing Or it's just the God-honest truth, and everything goes dead silence, and everybody's almost embarrassed? Have you ever stuck your foot in your mouth, and everybody heard it? Or someone says hard truth, and everyone shuts up, and it's like, ooh. I'm trying to paint a picture here because John begins to weep. and It says he wept, and he wept. Other translations will say he wept loudly. Why did he weep? Because no one was found worthy to open this scroll. No one in heaven, on earth, under the earth. That hopelessness of despair where there is no cure, there is no success, there's no chance of it ever turning out good or right or whole. Not holy, but whole, complete. It's, I think it's so awkward. There's this amazing praise. And then all of a sudden this mighty angel proclaims this, Who's worthy? Whoop. Quiet. It is so important, this question, heaven goes silent. John is so distraught that he weeps because no one is found worthy to open up God's plan, to read it, to see it, to fulfill it. No one is worthy. None of the angels. No one. How hopeless do you think John felt Here he is, an old man, exiled on the island of Patmos. All the other apostles have been executed and martyred for their faith. Persecution is beginning to spread across the Roman Empire. Do you think he doubted his faith from time to time? Here he is being persecuted for his faith. All the other leaders are gone. Do you think he had doubts? God, where are you? Why? It's hard to follow and obey God, especially if we feel like we've been walking in humble obedience. And I'm not talking about perfection. But many times we can come across and we feel like, man, God, I'm following you. I'm seeking your face. I'm looking to you. But why? Why don't you respond the way I need you to? Why don't you fulfill your promises the way you say in your word? at least the way I read it. Many times, God doesn't make sense. I talk with Farid, my buddy from Mexico. They just moved to the States yesterday. And I'm asking the question, God, why? Five years of training, become the new pastor. And in your sovereign will, he's leaving. And he told me on Saturday, Doug, I don't ever want to go back. I can't go back. He's dealing with unbelievable trauma. And you ask the question, God, what are you doing? Do you think John is asking that question? And here he has this amazing worship experience. And then all of a sudden, this angel has to just destroy it all by asking the question, who's worthy? And no one is worthy. And he weeps and he weeps. But then look here. And we know the story. Verse 5, Then one of the elders, the 24 elders, said to me, Do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah was the ruling tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel. Judah technically was the fourth son born. But if you read the last 13 chapters of Genesis, You'll see when Joseph is in Egypt and his brothers come down, and there's that huge reconciliation. Judah, being the fourth one, begins to step out into leadership. And at the very end of Genesis, Genesis chapter 49, when Jacob is prophesying over his 12 sons, this is what he says about Judah. Could you put Genesis 49 up, Chris? This is what Jacob says about Judah in Genesis 49. He says this, and there is no king of Israel right now. But look at what he says, look at how he prophesies over Judah. Judah is a young lion, my son. You return from the kill. He crouches. He lies down like a lion or a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? So Judah is already being prophesied over, you are a lion. And then he says this, the scepter will not depart from Judah. This is all prophetic, it's messianic, or the staff from between his feet, until he who has, whose right it is to come, and the obedience of the people belongs to him. It's messianic. This was written thousands of years before Revelation. And so when John hears the elders say, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the king, David, came from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, that's more messianic prophecies, and there's all throughout the Old Testament. Isaiah 11.1, 1, which is a famous passage, and it's one of those Christmas passages, the one in and Christy might put it up, then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear truth. So this elder comes to John and says, Do not weep, for there is one who's conquered. And he reminds John of several passages from the Old Testament that are messianic, and they're fulfilled in who? In Jesus. With the lion, mighty and powerful, roots, trees get torn down here. Why? Because the root system isn't strong enough. But Jesus is the very root of our faith. And then look at what John says here. Then I saw, in verse 6, Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne, and the four living creatures among the, and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent into all the earth. He went, and he took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. Now remember, a lot of this is symbolic. Could you imagine Jesus having seven horns and seven eyes on his head? It's all symbolic, but horns symbolize strength. Seven eyes, that's wisdom. The seven spirits of God. We we worship one God manifested in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This can be very confusing if you try to take it literally. But here he says, I see in the midst of the throne." the midst of the elders and all the angels, one who looked like he was slaughtered. Look at that imagery. We have one he's prophesied as lion, powerful, strong, lamb, slaughtered. Jesus is a lion. He is a lamb. It doesn't say he was given the scroll. What does it say? He took it. He didn't take it out of anger, but he took it. Think of that. Who is powerful enough to take something out of God's hand? Only God. And here Jesus is in the presence of all these worshiping angels and the presence of his Father. The Father has the scroll in his right hand, and Jesus takes it. Why? Because Jesus is God himself, he's God's Son. And he's worthy. He's the only one worthy. He takes it. And then look what happens here. There's a new song. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, which represents music. Each had a golden bowl of incense, which represents the prayers of the saints. Harp and bowl. Worship, praise, and prayer. And they sang a new song. You see, when we get a glimpse of who Jesus is, he gives us a new song. I am horrible with music. I can play the radio. it's about it. But I love to sing. I love to sing in Spanish. I love to sing in English and tongues. I love to sing. Sometimes I just make stuff up. But I love to sing. And when we get a glimpse of who Jesus is, when we get a new glimpse of who he is, he gives us a new song. So here, the angels are starting back up worship. They're starting this new song, and it starts with the four living creatures and then the 24 elders. And they sing this new song, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. And then they begin to proclaim what he did. You were slaughtered. You purchased a people from every tribe, tongue, people, nation, and all throughout the Old and New Testament, that's declared and proclaimed. What is the mystery of faith? Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. That is the essence of our faith. And so these angels begin to worship. And we looked at these two verses way back in August when we talked about finding our way with race. And from every tribe and tongue and nation, God is purchasing a people for himself to rule with him. And then in verse 10, verse 11, then John says, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also the living creatures. And so this worship service is getting bigger and bigger. The four begin and then the 24 begin. And then thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels begin to worship again. And they begin to praise and worship Jesus. Many people have criticized the scripture saying, where does it say in the Bible that Jesus is God? All throughout. And this is one of the biggest ones right here, this whole passage here. Who are, who are they worshiping? Jesus. Who's the only one worthy of worship? God. God. So if these angels are worshiping Jesus, what are they declaring? He's God. And you see, John went from this very hopeless situation, no one's worthy, to where he sees that Jesus is the only one worthy. And then the angels begin to declare in verse 11, then I looked and I heard the voice, and down to verse 12, sorry, they said with a loud voice. With a what type of voice? Loud. Sometimes I'm embarrassed for the church. Sometimes with us, many times with others, when I watch football and I see these people go crazy at the football stadium because some big, huge, young college kid can run across a marked white line carrying a synthetic pigskin to score six points, and the place goes crazy. Fans, that's short for fanatic. And then many times we can be ashamed and embarrassed. Yeah, I love Jesus. Woo! When he's the only one who is worthy, we should be fanatical for him. Not obnoxious, there's a difference. But so fanatically in love with Jesus that we just give him our all in worship and praise. Psalm 150, verse 2. I said this last week, and I want to reiterate it again. Psalm 150, verse 2. I love this verse here. Look at what it says. Praise Him for His power acts, wax. Praise Him for His abundant greatness. Now, we talked about what great means last week. Greatness, or two weeks ago. His abundant greatness. Too many, of, too many times our worship songs are just worshiping humanity. We talk too much about ourselves and who we are, and we don't focus on who he is and what he's done. Our praise should revolve around this verse right here. We worship him for his wonderful, amazing, marvelous acts. And recounting to God what he has done, we should always do. And proclaiming his abundant greatness and who he is, we should always do. But this should be the heartbeat of our worship. Our eyes should be fixed on him and who he is. That is true worship. And so these angels begin to sing and they begin to praise Jesus. And they say in verse 13, here, now it's not only the four living creatures and the 24 elders. And it's not just the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels. And if someone could take verse 11 and do the math on how many thousands upon thousands it is would be great. So please do that. I'll buy you a Starbucks coffee or coffee at Red Bicycle if you can let me know how many angels that is in verse 12. But then it says here, verse 13, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, under the earth and on the sea. How many? Every. And they say, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to who? And to the Lamb. Forever and ever. And the four living creatures, then they call out, amen. And then they all fall down before and they worship him who's worthy. This is heaven. For some of us, it might sound really boring. But we are created for relationship. We were created for purpose. And that purpose is to glorify God with all that we are. Is to have an intimate relationship with him. And it all starts with worship. And the more we can worship him and ask him to open the eyes of our heart to see him, the prayer of Moses, Lord, let me see your glory. Our big challenge is that when we fall into hopelessness and despair, unanswered prayer requests, health issues, financial issues, broken relationships, we can so easily become so myopic and our life, that we forget who truly is worthy. Or we take what the world offers, and that's to numb our pain with just sheer hedonism. If it feels good, do it. Live for yourself. Live for the moment. Let's eat, let's drink, let's be merry, for tomorrow we die. And we lose sight of the fact that there is only one who's worthy. He rules and reigns forever. He's worthy of our worship now. And as our dear brother Keith Green, who passed away years ago, he is a singer, he was saying in one song, he says, you're going to find out that Jesus is the way and he's the only way. And in this song he says, and I pray that you find out before it's too late, before it's too late and you can no longer willingly bow the knee to him in humble obedience, you will find out that he is the way and he's the only one worthy of our lives. So may we do that today. May we surrender, and as we come up upon this Christmas season, as we're in Advent, preparing our hearts, there's a couple things I want us to do. The first one is this, and Mel even said this earlier in the service, and Mel and I didn't talk about this, but there's five things I want us to do I want to challenge us today. The first one is let's pray. Lord, open my eyes to see how worthy you are. Pray that daily. Number two, worship him for his mighty acts. We don't worship God for what we get. We worship Him because He's worthy. Three, worship Him for His abundant greatness. Comes from Psalm 150. Pray that we see Jesus as the worthy Lamb of God, Emmanuel, God with us. Spend five minutes every day in worship of His worthiness. He is worthy. So, even if you find yourself in a hopeless situation, it is not hopeless. There is hope because he is the hope of glory. Let's stand. We're going to take 120 seconds of just silence. Where's Trevor? Where'd Trevor go? Someone could play. Yeah, if you mind playing, thanks, Trevor. First, we're just going to take two minutes. May Holy Spirit speak to you and open our eyes to see how worthy he is. Let's pray. As we close in worship, uh, if you want prayer or need prayer, members of our prayer team will be over here by the next steps. It's over here to your right. Uh, feel free to come down. We would love to pray with you. Let us continue singing. Real quick, Uh, we've kind of started a tradition. Real quick, and so Drew and Brady, if you guys could come up real quick. I know some of you all might not know who Drew and Brady Lewis are, but they've been worshiping with us for this past year. Uh, They've been helping up, helping out a ton, just to some of our college leaders. I'll come on up here, and the Lord gives, and he takes away, and he's sending them back to Texas, so they really need prayer, so is that correct? <laughs> no, um, but they'll be moving, most of their stuff is already in Texas, and this is their last Sunday here, so actually, I called you guys up here, but I said, let's get down here, and I'd love it, if a handful of people could come up, we just want to pray for them, and pray over them, and uh, we will dearly miss you guys. Um, and we need reinforcements with the college ministry. So I know a lot of them are gone and studying for exams, but there's a great group that meets down in what we call the garage, and Drew and Brady have had just a significant impact down there this past year. So thank you guys so very much. And, uh, yeah, we just want to pray and bless you as the Lord sends you back to Texas, and we know that he's going to use you powerfully, and you're going to be leading worship. Is that what it is? It's doing? Yes. Awesome. So mm mm-hmm. all righty so let's pray heavenly father we thank you so much for this dear couple Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you uh, for your call on their lives and all that you do and and through them and lord we pray just your blessing upon them as they finish up all the details here of packing of saying goodbye of finishing up jobs here and as they head back quote, unquote, to home Uh, Lord Jesus, that you would anoint them both. Lord Jesus, just your call in their life with Drew and the ministry you've called him true with Brady and nursing. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord. And we pray that you would anoint them powerfully, protect them as they travel. Lord Jesus, open up all the doors that you have for them so that they would bring great glory to you, Lord Jesus. And Father, we thank you and praise you for the incredible privilege you've given us to have them here as part of our fellowship. And Lord Jesus, we trust you and we praise you. And Lord, prepare us all for the worship of your son as we celebrate his birth in about two and a half weeks, Jesus. And we ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen and amen. All right, we are dismissed. God bless.